Welcome back to Bible Time, 1 Thessalonians 5.3. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. The next verse says, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would comfort our hearts, that you would warn those that are unruly through this message. Father God, that you would warn those that have no care and no thought, Lord, of tomorrow, and that you would help us, Father, to wake up to the danger that's coming, Father, and to make sure that our hearts are ready. In Jesus' name, amen. So this verse here comes after the verse 2, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And we studied that um, last Bible time lesson we studied as a thief in the night, or we studied as the day of the Lord. We've had another lesson since then that was unable to be put up for whatever reason and um, did not survive on the computer in any case. So um, that's all right. God knows what he's doing. We'll leave that alone. We'll leave that with him. But what we were trying to get to there in the second verse is that phrase, a thief in the night. We're going to tie that in with verse three today. And it says here, the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night for when they shall say peace and safety. So this concept of Christ coming as a thief in the night is what is the the prerequisite for understanding verse three, for when they shall see, say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. So the first thing that we need to see in this um, verse today is the contrast here in the very first part for when they shall say, So we need this contrast, they. He did not say, when ye shall say peace and safety. He did not say, when you shall say peace and safety. He did not say, when the saints shall say peace and safety. He said, when they shall say peace and safety. Who has he been saying ye to and you to the whole time here? The saints at Thessalonica, which are, make up a local what? church, a local church, a, which is part of the body of Christ, the church that Jesus Christ bought and paid for his bride. Jesus's bride is, um, the, the total conglomeration of all those saved believers who were part of his church throughout all the ages. And that group of people is the bride, the church. Now, this local church he's speaking to, they are the ye and the you that he's been talking to. And he says to them in verse one, but of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. He calls them brethren. 
He called the church at Corinth, he said, saints. Um, He talks to them as brothers, and he says to these who are part of the church, ye yourselves, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in in the night. And he makes a contrast here and says, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now, this you have to you have to understand that in order to understand what God is saying here. Understanding who God is talking to is very basic in understanding what God is saying. The here this contrast is clear in the Bible. This is the church of Thessalonica and who are the they? The they mentioned here in verse 3 is everybody else. Look at verse 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Verse 5. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So this contrast shows that they that will say peace and safety are of the night and are of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. So ye are the ones that are not to sleep as do they, the others. There's a comparison here throughout the next several verses. But let us watch and be sober. Here comes they again in verse 7. Look at it in your text. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for an and for an helmet the hope of salvation. And for an helmet, the hope of salvation for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very important fact that God wants you to know that God has not appointed you to wrath if you are a born again believer. So this peace and safety that they will say will be a peace and safety that is a worldly peace. The Bible talks about the peace that the world gives Jesus. Jesus said in John 16, you can go there real quick. John 16, 33. We'll just read it directly. These things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And this contrast is all through Jesus Christ's teaching. The, those that are Christ's and those that are the world. Those that are belong to Jesus and those that belong in a sense in this life to the devil who will also um, not have Um, access to them once he is judged either. So here they are the world. They are the ones that persecute the church. They are the ones that bring tribulation to the church. And Jesus said to the church, ye shall have peace in the world. Ye shall have tribulation. (coughs) In the world, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So this peace and safety that Jesus promised the church is a peace and safety in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of trouble in the world that the church is promised today. The church is going through the church's tribulation today.
and has been going through the church's tribulation since Christ died on the cross. He said it is enough for the servant that he be as the Lord and enough for the follower to be as his master, the disciple to be as his master. If they have hated me, they will hate you also. You say, well, we don't get hated because we live in America. No, you don't get hated because you are of the world. If you were not of the world, then the world would hate you also but you are of the world and the world cannot hate those that are of the world. The world does not hate itself. Read the book of first John. It goes over that in detail. Read Peter where he says, yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That is not optional. There is no cultural bubble on the face of the earth where you can expect to escape the reality that Jesus promised true disciples of Christ, tribulation, persecution, sufferings, sometimes death, <coughs> And the loss of all their things. He said, he that will come and follow me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Now, the persecution, as we've looked at, we're not going to get into all that right now. But just remember, persecution might come from your neighbor, but it might come from Satan himself. A true believer in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. That persecution will take on different um, different. It will take it. It will be a different picture. It will be seen differently. It will be applied differently in different cultures at different times. But the persecution will be just as real if you are a believer. Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Here, Jesus promises the comforter to come and the comforter comforts or he wouldn't be called the comforter. Isn't that interesting? The very first time Jesus introduces the Holy Ghost to his disciples, Jesus introduces the Holy Ghost as the comforter. Now, you don't need a comforter unless you are suffering. Comforting alleviates suffering. It alleviates fear. It resolves doubts. Comforting brings assurance. Comforting brings calm. Comforting brings um, a sense of refreshment to those who are going through grief. Comfort is for people who are going through bad times. The Holy Ghost is for people who are going through bad times. And not just because they're going through bad times. Peter said um, not to suffer for your own stupidity's sake, in a loose paraphrase, but he said that when you suffer for Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. The comforter is for those who are suffering for Christ's sake. And they're suffering because they're followers of Jesus Christ. You say, well, we don't really suffer because we're in America. That's again, because you're not following Christ. If you follow Christ, you will suffer. We've looked at that before. We're not, again, we're not going to get into that right now. But here, let's contrast that when the, to our text here. For when they, who's they? The world. For when they shall say peace and safety. When the world says peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. The world has a way of crying calamity, destruction, doom, when there's nothing to fear. 
Whenever somebody is following God, do you remember old Sam Bala and Tobias who came to Nehemiah when he was trying to build the temp, the walls there in Jerusalem and they, and they sent their messengers to him to put him in fear. He had nothing to be afraid of, but they sent messengers to put him in fear. It reminds me of the news media today. If there's nothing to be afraid of, they have to make something up. So they will, they'll make up these huge schemes and these huge problems out of little problems. And there might even be some reality and some reason to take warning, but they will make a worldwide global catastrophe out of a ship sinking or out of the, the temperature raising a half of a degree in 10 years. And they'll make these huge things. They'll say climate change, climate change, global warming, and they'll get off on whatever they've got to get off on. And they'll make a calamity. They'll make a pandemic out of a flu-type bug that kills a few more people than usual. And they'll make it sound like it's black death. And if you go back and study um, this COVID-19 thing, not to get off on a rabbit trail, it was nothing like black death. One in three people in Europe died of black death. We haven't got anywhere near that with COVID. Now, the news media kind of makes it sound like they wish it would get that bad so that they can make a profit off of fear-mongering. I'm not saying COVID wasn't serious. My own dad died um, due to complications um, that he got into with COVID-19. People died from COVID-19. I'm not being insensitive to that, but I'm saying that it was blown out of proportion to induce fear in people. The world wants you to be afraid. So when the world says peace and safety, watch out. That's when your antenna should go up. When the world says, peace, safety, we're all good now, you know something is wrong. That's when you should really be concerned. <clears throat> There's the old joke about um, the, somebody running around shouting, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. It's going to hit us on the head. People doing all this. Um, one of the oldest, I'm, oh, Lord, help me. <clears throat> one of the oldest pieces of literature that I had to, that I was recommended to read for the sake of learning. What a waste of time. What trash it was. But in any case, one of the big deals in it was that they convinced this guy that another flood was coming and he um, made a bucket ship that he could spend the night in and he spent the whole night in this bucket ship because he was afraid of a giant flood that was going to sweep away the city. This is, this is not new. The world cries flood. The world cries earthquake. The world cries comets, asteroids, meteorites, aliens, um, other planetary life coming down to abduct us. The world cries all kinds of things, but someday the world is going to cry peace and safety. Jesus gives peace not as the world gives it. Jesus gives peace through salvation, through repentance of your sins and getting right with God. The world gives peace through rebellion to God. The world's peace and the world's safety are in the face of God. They will deny all of the obvious reasons to not believe that peace can come and yet say peace. <coughs> our day, in our day today... <coughs> 
We've got to keep moving here. In our day today, they cry, peace, peace, no more war. This big movement in the 70s, make love, not peace. They were talking, when they said make love, they were talking about illicit fornication. So they were saying sin against the almighty God instead of going to battle. So even whenever they called out for peace, the method that they prescribed for attaining peace was to sin against almighty God. Nothing has changed. So the Bible says, for when they shall say peace, and safety, then cometh sudden destruction. Let's look at a couple examples here. First Kings twenty-two. Try and stay off of rabbit trails. First Kings twenty-two, and this example is Micaiah. We'll just brush over it and then move on to our next one there in the Old Testament, and then we'll have one more in the New Testament of peace and safety. Of when they shall say peace and safety. So First Kings 22 is whenever King Jehoshaphat has come down and met with King Ahab and he wants to go up to battle and all the prophets are prophesying smooth things to the king. The prophets are all telling him that he's going to win the battle. Look at verse 11 and it says here, Zedekiah, the son of Chanana, made him horns of iron and said, Thus saith the Lord, with these shalt thou push the Syrians till thou thou hast consumed them. But we find out that God, according to the prophet here, has purpose to destroy Ahab. Look at verse 20. The Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner and another said on that manner. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also go forth and do so. Now, Micaiah preached the truth. He was suppressed. Nobody would believe him. But they would believe all of the prophets dancing around in front of the kings, one of them there with his iron horns making a big show, who is saying peace and safety. Ahab had rebelled against God. Ahab had the wrath of God against him. Ahab had judgment of God sitting over his head. Ahab had seen the fire of God fall on Mount Carmel, showing him that God was serious. Ahab had watched Elijah get a sword and chop to death all those prophets of Baal. Ahab had every reason to assume and to believe it wouldn't even be assumption. He had every reason to believe that God was angry with him and his life was on a short track to hell. But instead of believing the truth, Ahab chose to believe peace and safety. And Ahab went to battle in the face of God's warning that he would die in the battle because he believed peace and safety when there was no peace. The prophets talk about the false prophets who cry, peace, peace to my people when there is no peace. This is one of the primary functions of the great whore in the book of tribulation. The false church is to cry peace, peace when there is no peace. Ezekiel 27 and verse 2. I think I got the wrong book. I, th- I thought I was going to Jeremiah. Let's go there. Jeremiah 27. <coughs> Jeremiah 27 and verse 2. 
Thus saith the Lord to me, make thee bonds and yokes and put them upon thy neck and send them to the king of Edom and to the king of Moab and to the king of the Ammonites and to the king of Tyrus and to the king of Zidon by the hand of the messengers which come to Jerusalem unto Zedekiah, king of Judah. Every one of these kings mentioned was worried about a coming king. There was a king coming whose name was Nebuchadnezzar, who in many ways is an anti-type of Christ. In many ways, he was very wicked, but in in one way, Nebuchadnezzar typified Christ, and that was as a judging, overpowering, unstoppable king. And here came the overpowering king and all the nations of the world in type in this little group here. All of them were having messengers go back and forth to talk about what they should do about this king that was coming and trying to make deals, trying to figure out who could posture themselves to get in the best political situation. And God told his prophet, you, you make bonds and you send them you and, and yokes and put them upon thy neck and send this message to all the nations, verse four, and command them to say unto their masters, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus shall ye say unto your masters, I have made the earth, the man and the beasts that are upon the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm have I given it and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant and the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve him and all nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time of his land come. And then he says, many nations shall serve themselves of him. He says, I'm going to give Nebuchadnezzar three generations. Then he's going to be wiped out by the nations of the world who will then eat of his, the, his thing, goods that he had laid up. So Jeremiah sent this message and he told the people, God has sent a king to destroy in judgment. Nobody would listen. Instead, in chapter 28 and verse 3, you have a prophet saying, Within two full years will I bring again, and he names him, he's Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet. Within two full years will I bring again into this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried them to Babylon. These people were sinning against God. These people had had prophets prophesying of Babylon, of this king that was coming, of the judgment of Judah since they had become a nation all the way back in the days of Joshua. Joshua prophesied that they would be carried away. Moses prophesied that they would be carried away because they left God all the way back to their formation. You go back to the prophets, to the prophecies that were given, um, even to Abraham where that dealt with that mentioned judgment alluded to the judgment. They had every reason to believe that God was going to judge them. Not only did they have every reason to to believe it, they could see it coming. It was, <coughs> it was on the horizon. Nebuchadnezzar was trampling under feet every nation that stood up against him. And here he came on the horizon and they were putting their trust in the name of the Lord who they were disobeying. And these false prophets were saying, you're going to have peace, peace, peace to the people to whom there was no peace. And they chose to believe it. It's no new thing. God is telling us there is judgment coming to this world. And this world, whenever they see the judgment coming, is going to say peace and safety in the face of coming judgment. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't it amazing that grown people will run around crying about a half degree temperature change and the potential of global warming that flies in the face of God's promises, and they will ignore all the evidence that God has given that they are standing on the brink of the wrath of the fire of Almighty God. And they will do nothing to prepare for the coming judgment, but they will just about strangle a trucker for letting too much emissions out of his truck whenever he brought them all of the things that they bought. It's, it's total hypocrisy. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. Go to Luke 17. Here the, Jesus Christ brings in the days of Noah. <coughs> the days of Noah here in Luke chapter 17 and verse 22. And he said unto the disciples, the days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the son of man and ye shall not see it. Again, the day of the Lord makes up not only a literal physical 24-hour day, but it also encompasses a thousand-year reign of Christ. There's a whole lot more to the day of the Lord than one 24-hour day. You have to rightly divide the word of truth. And they shall say to you, see here or see there, go not after them nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. There's, there's a couple things God's going to steal. He's coming as a thief in the night. And there's a couple things he's going to steal. It says he comes as lightning out of the one part under heaven unto the other part. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. <coughs> they did eat and drank. They married wives that were given in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. You know, I wonder with old Noah, I wonder how bad it was getting. I wonder if the local town had had enough of Noah. I just have to wonder if the day Noah went into the ark, they were having a city council meeting to decide what to do with Noah. I wonder if they didn't issue a warrant for Noah's arrest the day he went in the ark. And when they got there, the door was shut. And they had to go back and have another meeting, but they decided that they'd have to have a committee to decide on it. It took too long, and then the flood came. In any case, this is what it was in the days of Noah. And what happened? Noah was taken out like he was stolen away from those people. (coughs) So was Lot. Look at it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Lot was stolen out of Sodom. Did the Sodomites want Lot to escape? No. What were they going to do to Lot? It, it begs description. It's impossible to even describe. And apart from just reading the biblical account, it's so filthy and vile what they wanted to do to Lot. And I want to tell you something today. What the church of Jesus Christ is, what is in store for, what this world will do to the church If they could, they're going to be mounted up and ready to do to the true church of Jesus Christ when the lightning goes from the east to the west and steals the bride right up out of the earth. Wow. 
Jesus is going to come like a thief. The world will be gathered against the church politically, ready to devour it. Boy, are we seeing that today, where evil's called good and good is called evil, where preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest crime that you can commit in most of the world and getting worse in the rest of the world. And the world will be ready to finally stamp out the church of Jesus Christ. And right at that moment, when Satan thinks he's got the church, bam, Jesus will go through the sky and take his church out. (coughs) As a thief in the night. And that will be the harbinger. That will be the messenger that brings in for the world, that reveals to the world the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, before all flesh shall see him. The world will see that the thief has come because they'll see he stole some stuff. Listen to me today. A good thief doesn't get caught. Can you really be a good thief? Only Christ can. Because he's stealing what belongs to him. You know, there's a good thief in history. Everybody makes a lot to do about old Robin Hood. Old Robin Hood, there was a wicked king and a wicked sheriff that were oppressing the people and stealing from them. And Robin Hood got his bow and arrow and went out and snuck through the woods and stole the money that the king and the sheriff stole from the people. And then he went sneaking through the woods, giving the money back to the people so that they could live. And everybody talks about Robin Hood, Robin Hood, what a hero. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is going to steal his bride from the devil and from the church. Hallelujah. And that's going to be, (coughs) that is going to be what kicks off the great tribulation. What I say. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to steal his bride from the devil and the world. Is that better? (coughs) Amen. I knew something was wrong. Pray for my cough. Um, That doesn't help me any. So here the world will be eating and drinking and marrying wives given in marriage until the day that Noah went into the ark. And in the day that the church goes into the ark, in the day that the church comes out of Sodom, in the day that God brings out the church, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. Now, the next part of our verse, stay in Luke 17, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. In 17 um, here, he says in verse 29, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the son of man is revealed in that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife, whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, now listen, this is where we have a double prophecy going on here. You have the promise to the church, but here Jesus is preaching to the Jew. And this, this is also, this is primarily to the Jew with prophecies about the church involved with it. So he says here, (coughs) I tell you in that night, there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other left. Taking is what a thief does. 
The thief, this time the good thief, the only time there'll be a good thief. Listen, everything Satan does, he's a thief. The Bible says the thief cometh not but for to steal and kill and destroy. By the way, what is Jesus coming as when he comes as a thief? To kill, to steal, and to destroy. He's going to kill his enemies. He's going to steal his people from the grasp of those that had them in their power. And he's going to destroy the nations of this world. The devil is just a little copycat trying to pretend like he's Jesus. And he never makes the cut. Jesus is going to destroy the devil too. So it says two women shall be <coughs> two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, where Lord? And he said unto them, wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. And remember the prophecy in the old Testament that together with my dead body, your dead men shall live together with my dead body. Shall they rise? This ties in with the resurrection that we just read about. So, Lord, help us today to stay, to get this preached. So here's this thief in the night coming and taking out his church. The world doesn't see it. The world is saying peace and safety. And the world notices maybe that all of a sudden that pesky true church of Jesus Christ that won't shut up and won't stop preaching the gospel is all of a sudden gone. And in a way, they're just happy to be rid of their greatest enemy in their estimation estimation because they don't understand they have a much greater enemy and it's the bridegroom who's very angry with the way the world has been treating his bride. So here this day comes and it's sudden destruction. Now here's where this can get confusing if you don't read the Bible like crazy. When Sodom was destroyed it happened immediately and so will these But immediately in God's economy is not always limited to 24 hours. Neither is one day limited if God chooses not to limit it. So God tells us here in Thessalonians, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. How? He tells us how. This is very important. (coughs) Are you following? Following along? How does the sudden destruction come when the thief comes? In First Thessalonians five two, the thief comes in five in five two. Sudden destruction comes in five three. How does it come? As it says, as pain on her that travaileth. That's our third part here. As travail upon a woman with child. Now, when travail comes to a woman with child, there's no stopping it. There's no changing it. There's no avoiding it. Even with all of modern medicine, when a woman goes into transition labor, travail, <coughs> it's too late for a C-section. Without, <coughs> excuse me, without extreme trauma to the mother and the baby and probably loss of life. So the, when, that's why they, whenever they know they've got to do a C-section, they schedule it before travail. Because once that travail starts, everything is more complicated and it's and it's irreversible. You don't just stop travail. There are some things they can do, but um, in general, when this comes on a woman, she is stuck. But when the travail comes, the baby isn't born yet. 
And that process may take a long time. Sometimes even days, a woman may go into transition labor and then have a time of rest and then go back into that heavy duty labor again. And it may not happen right away, even though it happens right away. So what is it? This sudden destruction will come upon them suddenly in its onset. It's coming suddenly because God said it suddenly. You're saying you're trying to redefine the words. No, I'm not. I'm trying to define them biblically using scripture. It's suddenly because God says it suddenly, but what you say is suddenly might not be suddenly to God. And we're the ones that have to change our definitions, not God. So God says suddenly as a woman in a time of, in as travail upon a woman with child. So it's sudden in its onset and it's sudden in its consequences, but the space in between the start and the finish is going to be a lot more drastic than that. There's several times that God will steal from the devil in this day of the Lord. This is really mind blowing. I barely have my mind wrapped around it as it is. I'm trying to hold it all together as I preach. I'm having to go slow and try and keep it together. And I don't have it all figured out. I'm just trying to bring the Bible for what the Bible says here. <coughs> So this conclusion is sealed. The travail of the woman is the analogy that God uses here. The conclusion is sealed. Now in 2 Peter 3.10, it tells us that the day of the Lord will come with the burning of the world. So which one is right? Here's, listen, this is where we have to believe the Bible and let God define his own terms. <clears throat> there in first um, second Peter three ten, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So there again is the thief in the night, the coming of the day of the Lord, but this time it's the total destruction of the world. Now, I don't know anybody whose eschatological plan calls for the coming of the Lord being the destruction of the earth point blank with nothing else before it. Do you hear me? But yet here it is, and it's presented that way. So what are you going to do with it? You have to compare Scripture to Scripture and rightly divide the word of truth. <coughs> so the day of the Lord comes um, as a thief in the night, in the which, in that day of the Lord... The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. That's post-millennial. So the day of the Lord... It extends to post-millennial, but it begins pre-millennial. And the day of the Lord goes pre-tribulational all the way to post-millennial. It's all part of the day of the Lord. Now, <coughs> the day of the Lord, as lightning, he comes as a thief in the night. He steals his church up first. What does he steal second? Well, at the end of the tribulation, all the armies of the earth are gathered around Israel to destroy her. Go to Revelation chapter 19. They're gathered around Israel to destroy her. And here comes King Jesus with his bride. Now in Revelation chapter 16 um, and verse 15, 
Jesus says, behold, I come as a thief. This is in the midst of all of his warnings about men not repenting. And this has to do with um, they shall not escape. The close of our verse here today, we'll look at some of those verses. Let's just look at those real quick because the Bible says they shall not escape. Oh, Lord, help me. I already skipped that part. We're going to have to back up just a little bit and catch these verses before we go on and look at King Jesus coming to steal again. All right. So hold that thought and we'll get back. I'm sorry. I'm making such a mess of this. God have mercy on me and help me. So in Exodus 7, you have Pharaoh and God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Exodus 7, 3, 7, 13, 7, 22, 9, 12, 10, 1, 10, 20, 10, 27, 11, 10, and 14, 4. I just said that to let you know he said it a lot. Over and over and over again, God said he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh is a type there of the world, of the they who say peace and safety. And there was Pharaoh eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, um, persecuting the church of the wilderness, Israel, and there he was persecuting them, and then sudden destruction came upon him. But when sudden destruction came upon Pharaoh, it came with, listen to me, it didn't end the moment it came. You say, how can God do sudden destruction? Why don't people just repent? There in the book of Revelation, it says, They didn't repent. They didn't repent. They didn't repent. They didn't repent over and over and over again. Revelation chapter nine, verse six. Revelation 9, 6, and in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. So the the sudden destruction that shall come upon men will be a prolonged destruction. By the way, there's a destruction coming in the end called everlasting destruction. So we in our temporal minds think of destruction as a moment. God has an everlasting destruction coming and he has periods of destruction that he will bring upon men. God is to be feared. God doesn't think like we think and he doesn't talk like we talk. He is God. And it's our job to figure out what he said by looking at what he said and believing it. So here, Pharaoh, God judged Pharaoh by hardening his heart. Romans 9 says, whom he will, he hardeneth. And on whom he will, he has mercy. So when God brings the sudden destruction on the earth, when the lightning comes from the east to the west, all of these people that have rejected the truth of God's word. Do you hear me today? I said the other day, people will have the opportunity to be saved in the tribulation. Not exactly sure how it's all going to work out, but it will be by grace. That's true. But all of these people who have rejected truth will be hardened. The Bible says they will seek death and not be able to find it. And it says over and over again there in Revelation that they will not repent. There in verse in chapter 9 and verse 20, it says, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils. Verse 21, Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication. And that theme goes on in chapter 16, the, um, one of the places we were just looking at. Um, chapter 16, verse 9, And they repented not to give him glory. 
verse 11, and, and repented not of their deeds. So here's Jesus warning us in this verse, chapter 16, behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So this sudden destruction that comes is a sealed destruction. It's a destruction that comes on them when they don't know destruction is coming. And just because God prolongs that destruction doesn't mean it's any less destruction. God prolongs the destruction to make his wrath known, just like he did on Pharaoh. Vessels of wrath appointed for destruction. This is absolutely key. Just like it says in Thessalonians, we are not appointed unto wrath. And that ties back to Romans chapter 9 and the vessels of wrath. And these people in Revelation who have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ comes back, steals his church as lightning from the east to the west, those people will be sealed in their unrepentant rebellion against God. That's serious stuff. It says the rest of the men repented not. The rest that were not killed repented not. That's pretty serious stuff. The close of the verse there says, they shall not escape. Now, we shall escape. People say, you, you rapturists out there, uh, which is the catching away in the Bible, you're just a bunch of escapists. Well, I'm going to escape. The world will not escape, but I'm going to escape. The Bible says here in 1 Thessalonians 5.3, and they shall not escape. I'm glad I'm escaping, praise God. I don't care if you want to call it escapist. You call it whatever you want. I'm going with God. And he's taking me out of here. Praise his holy name. So here, they shall not escape. Revelation 16, 15, God warns us, Behold, I come as a thief. Listen to me today. You are not going to have time to think over whether or not you want to repent once the end times start rolling. You're not going to have a chance. If you have rejected Christ today and you wait until the end times kick off with the catching away of the church to meet Christ in the air, don't you assume for a second that you're going to have time to find mercy during the tribulation. This is the day of salvation, the Bible says. This is the day of salvation. That is the day of the Lord. When the day of the Lord comes, the day of grace is ended. I don't know how exactly all this is going to work with people that, that God does save out of the tribulation. I just know that if you're alive today rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior and the tribulation starts, you are going to be in big trouble. And according to what I see in the Word of God and what I'm presenting to you today, you will be sealed to, for wrath. Sealed for wrath. You better be ready for God today. Don't put off God. It says they shall not escape. Chapter 17 um, and 18 deal with the judgment of the whore, Babylon, the false church. The Babylon being the city of the false church, as it clearly says in the Bible there. Um, not chapter 19, marriage supper in heaven. The church is in heaven with Christ while the false church is being judged on earth. 
can't get much more clear than that. Then you have the return of Jesus Christ in chapter 19 as with his vesture dipped in blood. And you have all these armies gathered around Israel. And here comes Jesus and destroys them with the word that goes out of his mouth. The Bible says that whenever these armies are destroyed, uh, look at chapter 19, verse eight, whenever these armies are destroyed, the Bible says that the enemy will be like those that dream and suddenly they wake up. They dream that they're eating a feast and suddenly they wake up and there's no food. Jesus is going to swipe it. Jesus is going to steal his Israel from the world. He's coming as a thief. First, he's going to steal his bride. Secondly, he's going to steal his father's wife, Israel. From the devil, from the beast, from the Antichrist. And then, this, this is nuts, but it's, it's real. The whole thing's going to stop mid-breath. Yeah, the bullets will be flying through the air to kill every Jew. The missiles will be flying through the air. Whatever it is, arrows, who cares? But they're going to be flying. Whatever's, what, the final axe is coming down on Israel. And at that moment, Jesus Christ steps into the scene, splits the Mount of Olives, shuts down the whole army, kills them with the word that goes out of his mouth and sets up a thousand year reign and binds the devil. And the day of the Lord is extended for a thousand years of earth time. God is not bound by time. And the day of the Lord will not end until the thousand years end. What is that thousand years all about? It's about the fulfillment of every promise that God ever made to man and ever made to Israel. Jesus Christ will rule and reign in literal Israel. And guess what? All those people that were not in the armies that attacked um, Judah and Jerusalem, whose fate was sealed at the beginning of the day of the Lord, do you know what will happen to them? When a thousand years later, you say they won't live a thousand years. Go ask Adam about that. Read your Bible. Read Genesis. God's going to make it like it was before, before the curse. Now, all these people that are alive that had rebelled against God, and whose fate was sealed and repented not of their sorceries and their murders and their wickedness and all that, when Jesus sets up his kingdom, they will not be able to sin, and they will not be able to die, and they will not be able to repent. And they will serve God for a thousand years on earth, the whole time hating him in their hearts. At the end of the thousand years, read your Bible, right there in Revelation 20, Satan's loosed, gathers the world together, deceives them again, gathers them together, and the day of the Lord ends, which is 2 Peter 3.10. The day of the Lord begins, as we're reading in 1 Thessalonians 5, and in the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, with the catching away of the church, Jesus stealing his bride away. Then, the tribulation there, Jesus steps in and stops the battle, but doesn't finish it. And for a thousand years, he rules and reigns. And then he lets the devil come in and finish the battle and ends the battle. And there in three times, three different ways, he steals the victory from Satan three times back to back as a thief 
in the night. The final time, whenever he destroys the armies that are gathered around Jerusalem, he will destroy the earth and make a new heaven and a new earth, according to your Bible, what you read right there. That's where you have the great white throne of judgment is after the destruction of the earth before the creation of the new earth that will endure forever. This is God's plan. And God wants you to know this plan. He wants you to know it for two reasons, to be comforted if you're a Christian, because you get to escape. Hallelujah. You don't have to go through the wrath of God because you are not appointed to wrath. Secondly, if you are a wicked, unrepentant rebel against God, God wants you to know your day is coming and it's going to be the longest, worst day of your life. And it's going to end with judgment and eternal damnation and destruction. A thousand years of misery. Do you... We've got to shut this thing down, but imagine for just a moment living in utopian earth under the rule of Jesus Christ, who you hate with all your guts, who you want to fight against and you can't, who you want to disobey and you can't with all of your sinful desires and not being able to fulfill any of them. A thousand years to live in your unrepentant rebellion against God with no way to satisfy your lusts. That's what they will call hell on earth. And it'll end with the lake of fire where they're cast into that lake of fire for all of eternity. Where they will burn and burn and burn and burn. Prepare to meet thy God. Are you ready to meet God. Are you ready for the day of the Lord? Are you ready? Because when he comes, he's coming like a thief in the night. He'll be in and out and gone before you have time to do anything about it. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would just let this message sink in and use it, Lord. I've been struggling all the way through it. But Lord, your word is good and pure. And I just pray that you would use this in spite of my human weakness, Father. And Lord, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, Father. And we just ask you to help us to honor him and glorify him and help us to be ready to meet you. In Jesus' name, amen.